0: Hello and welcome to Keeping Track, a show that speaks to people who give Cork a sense of community by providing fundamental services, making the city more colourful and diverse, or challenging the status quo to make our city a better place to live, work and play. My guest today has been a home birth midwife since March 2017. She is passionate about supporting women to have the birth they want by being well informed to make the best choices around pregnancy, birth, infant feeding and parenting. Her goal is to see more women joining the home birth scheme so they can enjoy the gold standard service she and her colleagues provide by looking after mothers all the way through their pregnancy, their birth and for two weeks afterwards. The home birth scheme was recently under review by the HSC to restrict home births to women who are no more than a 30-minute journey from the nearest maternity hospital, which would exclude women living in rural Ireland who wish to give birth in the comfort of their own home. We are here today to talk about all that and much more. So without any more palaver from me, I'd like to introduce the wonderful
1: Caroline Cochrane. Thank you, Dave. It's good to be here.
0: Um, do you want to give us your first tune there while we settle in?
1: Great. Uh, well, we're going to start with a banger. Natural Woman by Aretha Franklin the song kind of speaks for itself it's a really powerful anthem about what women are capable of in our most natural states. I'm very lucky in my job because I get to see that every single day, women overcoming pain and doubt and fear and achieving amazing things
2: Looking out on the morning rain I used to feel so uninspired, and when I knew I had to face another day, Lord, it made me feel so tired. Before the day I met you, I for sure.
0: to Franklin, and that was picked by my guest today, Caroline Cochrane. Caroline Cochrane is a home birth midwife, and I'm delighted to have her on the show. Can you tell us about your journey to becoming a midwife? I am in awe of midwives, and I feel that it really is a calling. So when did you get the call, Caroline?
1: Um, It is a calling, and any midwife would agree with that. And um, like most birth workers, I suppose, it kind of goes back to my own birth to some degree. I was adopted and I was born in a mother and baby home, St. Pelagius home for penitent girls in London. it had a commercial laundry where the pregnant girls worked long days, and it was run by the Sacred Hearts Order of Nuns, who also ran Bespera and Sean Ross Abbey. And they saw, that saw their job as preventing the mothers from bonding with their babies to make adoption easier. And that experience has stayed with me. Um, I've always felt so much empathy for women who are being treated badly by institutions or the state. So when I got pregnant, I chose home birth for myself um, it was an easy choice for me. I needed to feel safe. I wanted to feel like I was in control of what was happening to me and I wanted to feel looked after. And when I met Mary Cronin, my midwife, I trusted her straight away. I felt completely supported and understood. And the experience of birth was really transformational for me. I found a strength in myself that I didn't know I had. It was a, a really healing experience. And that was something I wanted to share with other women to pass on the care I had received. And I suppose, give something back to the universe.
0: So your experience has a direct effect on your philosophy regarding childbirth and the role of a midwife.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I don't work in the hospital. You know, um, I feel like what we do in in home birth as a home birth midwife um, is something very, very special. We give support to women who, for whatever reason... um, feel that they wouldn't be comfortable in the hospital or don't feel safe in the hospital or don't feel they're going to be cared for the way they want to be cared for. Um, You know, my role is just to keep the mum and the baby safe and to support her and her partner uh, through the most challenging and amazing day of their lives. And, you know, especially for first-time mums, a lot of them feel very lost. They find social media about birth overwhelming. They They hear friends and family telling horror stories. They need support and reassurance all the way through the pregnancy, you know, and the way we work, we provide continuity of care, which means that, you know, I see the woman from very early in the pregnancy and I see her all the way through, all the way through the the, the labour and the birth. And then I, I, I look after them for another couple of weeks postnatally as well. And that's just, you know, to be in that little home birth bubble all the way through uh, makes women feel very, very safe and very reassured and it kind of promotes really good birth experiences. You know, women are more likely to birth quickly and uh, without complications in their own home.
0: Okay, so let's assume there's someone listening to this who's considering having a home birth. Can you talk us through what one needs to do when they decide they want to have a home birth?
1: Well, ring me up, basically. (laughs) You know, depending on where you live. Um, There's a few midwives um, in Cork providing home birth services. And you can go on the internet. We have a website Cork and Kerry Home Birth and all our details are on there and there's a bit of information about the scheme as well but basically once you get in touch with one of the midwives we'll talk you through a little bit over the phone about how the home birth scheme works and answer any questions you have straight away and then we'll arrange an appointment to meet you in our clinic and we'll have a a chat with you and your partner about you know what to expect on the home birth scheme how things are going to go during the pregnancy you know you're going to be having shared care between uh, myself and your gp And, you know, there's going to be two midwives there for the birth. We go on call for you 24-7 from the time you have 37 weeks of pregnancy up until you have the baby, which could be up to kind of two weeks after your due date. And then we do maybe five or six home visits after the baby's born as well to help with infant feeding, whether that's breastfeeding or whatever. And, um, you know, we'll have a chat about safety in that first appointment. We'll talk about The ambulance service in particular and what great supporters they are of ours and how they have all of your details by 36 weeks. And, you know, they go on call for us from the moment we arrive at the house and we advise them that we have a woman laboring. So, you know, often it's the partners that have questions about safety, which, you know, I absolutely respect. They want to make sure that everything is fine for for their partner. They feel kind of responsible as well because it's happening. If it's happening in their house, they want to know exactly what's going on. So, you know, we, we at that appointment, we have the ability to reassure them that, you know, it's a very safe service.
0: Why do you think there's so much distrust around home births in Ireland?
1: I don't think there's enough education um, for women in pregnancy around their choices and what's out there. I don't think people really understand what's meant by home birth. People imagine that you're out in the back garden doing it on your own or something. You know, it's really not like that. This is a, it's a HSE scheme. Uh, We have a liaison consultant who works with us, who sees all the women that come onto the home birth scheme and talks to them about uh, the safety of the scheme and the research around home birth internationally, and also about the outcomes that we have. of our scheme in Ireland which are published by NPEC, National um, Perinatal Epidemiology Centre in Cork. Those are published annually and um, our outcomes are actually excellent and they're very much in line with international expectations um, in other countries and they're in line with large research studies that have taken place in the UK for example the birthplace study. Um, We we have a 97% breastfeeding rate we have a 7% cesarean section rate. Do you know, the comparison is that for first-time mums in CUMH, the section is 44% now. And the breastfeeding rate in Ireland generally is about 15%. It's one of the lowest breastfeeding rates in the world, according to UNICEF. So I think if people understood that, you know, you're going to have two fully qualified midwives there for the birth, you're going to have, you know, be feel 100% taken care of all the way through the pregnancy, the birth and postnatally, And, you know, that it's a professional service that we're providing, which is actually extremely similar to the care you get in the hospital. We follow almost exactly the same procedures and guidelines with a few tweaks for the the home birth setting. And, you know, we transfer to hospital if we feel that it would be the safest thing to do. We're not in the business of pushing boundaries or extending grey areas. You know, if we have any concerns at all about what's happening, we're all agreed we're all going straight into the hospital.
0: It's a HSE scheme, but... Just from experience, it seems like there are a couple of roadblocks to having a home birth. So finding a GP that's actually insured is difficult. I might be wrong about this, but gestational diabetes is another roadblock. I I, I think that the, the call-off point in Ireland is lower than anywhere else in Europe for gestational diabetes. That might be naive now, I might be wrong, but is that a thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are certainly criteria that you have to meet to be on the home birth scheme because it's only low-risk women that are allowed on the scheme. The GP problem um, has been going on for a long, long time and the percentage of GPs that are not insured to share care with us on the home birth scheme has increased over the years and it's now like 70-80%. But I mean, generally speaking, what happens if that's the case is your midwife will take over all your antenatal care. And, um, you know, if you need um, additional, if you need to be seen by a doctor during that time, you can either try and find another GP who is covered or you can go into the emergency room if it's more serious at CUMH or you can go and see somebody at South Doc, um, the out-of-hours doctor's service. So that certainly wouldn't prevent anyone from getting onto the home birth scheme. It's a very common scenario these days. Um, In terms of, you know complications of pregnancy and complications of birth yeah we we because we're self-employed we sound like we'd be quite independent but in actual fact we are um, insured our indemnity insurance is provided to us by the HSE so we're essentially uh, agreed we agree to follow the HSE's procedures and guidelines around home birth and part of that is to follow their criteria for what counts as low-risk care and obviously within that there are a few areas where we would like to maybe make some changes, you know, and I I know that the guidelines are actually being looked at at the moment. And I know that there are some things in there that we have wanted to change for a long time that might be possibly being changed soon, which is good news for us. I know that when it comes to things like gestational diabetes, the reference ranges um, for the blood tests, you know, we've no control over those really, those, those are set within the lab. And, um, you know, there's nothing we can do about that once you've kind of tested positive for a condition like that. Um, the official position is you're now, you know, to be considered somebody who needs um, specialist care. And uh, the home birth scheme, scheme is no longer suitable for you in that case. You know,
0: is there a lower cutoff
1: point in there Ireland? There is. Yeah. There is a lower cutoff point in Ireland than in the UK, for example. Yeah, mm. so yeah somebody it is quite be, strict. And most of yeah. those women who do test positive for gestational diabetes will probably be treated with diet alone. You know, most of them, a lot of them won't be on medication. They'll just be treated by diet. So, you know, obviously a lot of women have, a lot of women who are very, very keen to be on the home birth scheme, who meet those kind of barriers, you know, get very upset. And I, I think that's absolutely fair enough. And I think, you know, as midwives, it's also our job to kind of keep advocating to make this scheme more accessible to to as many women as possible, you know, in a safe way.
0: Let's take another tune.
1: Sure. So my next song um, reminds me of being on call. Um, being a home birth midwife means that I'm on call 24-7. Um, I never know when the phone is going to ring saying, I think I'm in labour. Uh, sometimes it happens when I'm at the movies or when I'm in the middle of a family dinner. Quite often it's at two in the morning. And like the song says... Winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you have to do is call and I'll be there. You've Got a Friend by Carol King.
0: Got a friend by Carol King and that was picked from my guest today Caroline Corcoran. Caroline Corcoran is a home birth midwife in Cork County. Let's get into maternity care in Ireland. The online investigative journalism publication Noteworthy recently did an excellent series on maternity care in Ireland called Birthplace. There are six articles in total and the topics of these articles range from the many obstacles facing women who would prefer a home birth, the rates of C-sections and inductions continually rising year on year, women battling for maternity care choice, the 30 minute restriction being raised as non-negotiable at a HSC meeting in March despite protesters feeling the issue was resolved last year to the tie turning on the water birth ban. Can we start with the reasons why the HSC recommend induction to so many expectant mothers and how that will ultimately lead to a c-section more often than not?
1: Yeah, I mean, induction is, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a problem, really. Um, I mean, as midwives, we provide evidence-based care and doctors are are doing the same thing. You know, you you look at the research that's available, you look at the highest quality research that's available, you look at international research, you look at large studies, you look at uh, randomised controlled trials where those are available, um, and you look at systematic reviews of, of, of multiple research trials that give you, you know, bigger numbers that you can look at and get a better idea of what outcomes you can expect from a particular intervention. Now, Many people are now questioning whether the trend of inducing women who have no complications of pregnancy at earlier and earlier uh, stages of pregnancy, is it really based on the best available research? There was a research study done last year in Ireland and, you know, a lot of the changes that are happening now are being based on that study. Um, A lot of people are asking, is it really best, best practice to be basing these kind of decisions on one relatively small Irish study?
0: It seems that they don't really want you to go past 40 weeks.
1: No, that's very true. And the earlier you try to force a woman's body to go into labor, the more likely you are to fail, Uh, you know, there comes a point where the woman's body is ready to go. and induction may well be um, relatively easy process. But if you're trying to induce women at 39 weeks or even 40 weeks, uh, if that woman is not really ready to give birth, then you could be throwing quite a lot of medication at her. And, you know, those are the situations where either nothing happens at all, and we call that a failed induction, and then the woman has to have a cesarean section because there's no other choice. Then we can't start an induction and then send her home if it doesn't work. So, um, you know, either that happens or the baby becomes distressed because there's a lot going on. And um, then we end up going down cesarean section route again for different reasons. Uh, It certainly does seem, there's been a lot of discussion about it, but it certainly does seem that um, induction raises the risk for cesarean section. And that's what the majority of the research seems to be telling us now. There's a definite correlation there. And, um, you know, with cesarean rates being as high as they are and induction rates being as high as they are, you know, I do feel like um, we would benefit from a more measured approach. Um, to these issues. Obviously, if a woman has preeclampsia and, you know, or some other major complication of pregnancy and she really needs to have the baby now for her own safety and the ba- safety of her baby and for her own health and well being, nobody's arguing with that, you know, but it does seem like there's more and more women being induced um, where there's really very little or no indication for doing so.
0: To me, that seems like it's a policy. Maybe it's not written down, but it seems like it might be a policy if their induction rates, say in CUMH, are so high and the C-section rates are so high, that has to be a policy of get them in and get them out. I mean, that might be crude to say, but that's what it sounds like to me.
1: It's definitely a trend. Yeah. Um, and I think there's certainly a preference among a lot of doctors for not letting women go overdue. There, are, There is an association with going um, the further you go overdue, the more you know, your risk of stillbirth increases, it could still be a fairly low risk, but it can increase substantially the more, the longer you go overdue. So, you know, you can understand why doctors who are very litigation averse, um, you know, they they don't want to be going down that road. No, Nobody wants to be going down the road of increasing stillbirth. But, You know, are we going too far in the other direction?
0: Yeah, it's a litigation thing, really. It's the fear of that.
1: It's part of it, certainly, yeah.
0: yeah. But then does that make women feel like they're being pressurised?
1: Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think there are, like the women that I look after, the home birth moms. they're um, very decided women, very opinionated in a good way. They know what they want to do. They know how they want to give birth. um, And they're very able to advocate for themselves. They're very articulate about um, their choices um, but that, I don't see that reflected in the general population you know I think the majority of Irish women go into the hospital and their their mantra is go with the flow and the what that results in is it means it basically means you know do do whatever the doctor says do whatever the midwife says it's not um, a frame of mind that encourages you know, questioning of what's being suggested, what interventions are being suggested, and you know, I do think women should be educated in pregnancy to understand that they do have the right to give informed consent to any intervention that's going to be carried out on them. Uh, anything that's going to happen to them in the hospital, even somebody taking bloods, you know, they should understand what's being taken, what it's being used for, and what it is. What are the what are the possible consequences of it, and and why they should consent to it? What are the risks? What are the benefits? What happens if they don't do it? You know, and I think more women should really understand that, you know, especially now the Eighth Amendment has been repealed and we have a new national consent policy in place. Every woman should understand that she has the right to say no to anything being done to her body.
0: So from my personal experience, I, I am very aware that I'm a man talking about this and that that is going to be somewhat redundant <laughs> But just from my experience of it is um, you can feel pressurized in the current system to be induced, but you can say no.
1: Nobody can do anything to you against your will.
0: But it doesn't take away the feeling of being pressurized when you are under pressure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That,
1: you know, that's the that's the difficult area, you know, and having conversations about uh, the potential increase in risk of stillbirth. If you go overdue, that is difficult. It's difficult to do well and, um you know, it can result in women feeling like they're being put under undue pressure to go down the induction route. Um, It's it's a difficult situation to manage.
0: Okay, let's take another tune.
1: Okay, so next song. Um, I listen to this while I'm driving around the uh, Irish countryside, seeing the seasons change, never knowing if I'm going to be out at a birth for 24 hours or if I'll be arriving at the same time as the baby. Um, There's a lot of patience needed to be a midwife. Uh, It's the most important skill that we have. Um, This is Patience by Tame Impala.
0: That was Patience by Tame Impala. And that was picked by my guest today, Carolyn Corcoran.
1: I just wanted to address what you were saying before, Dave, because I think that guys are made to feel like they're in the way when it comes to birth, you know. And I think it's really, really unfortunate. You know, I think when you're in the hospital, the man is basically told, sit here, don't move, don't interfere. And, you know, it's that's terrible because, you know, the, your partner needs you in that moment more than she's ever needed you before. You know, she needs your support. She needs your strength, she needs your reassurance, Um, she needs you to back her up if she's having difficult conversations Um, and you know at a home birth it's it's quite a different scenario you know you have, we get the, the guys are very very involved you know they're filling up the birthing pool, they're making sure that their partner has had something to eat and something to drink on a regular basis. Uh, they're making sure she goes to the toilet on a regular basis, you know, uh, stuff like that. They're very, very involved. They're holding her hand or they're rubbing her back. You know, it's it's kind of a diff- very different scenario in, in a home birth. And I, I think it's a shame that men are made to feel in the hospital that, that they've no business being there in a way, you know, and th- that it's, um, it's women's stuff. I think that's uh, not right. I think you're dealing with a whole family you know, mom, dad, baby. And I think everybody needs to feel involved. Everybody needs to feel respected and everybody needs to feel like they're heard. You know?
0: Well, thanks for acknowledging that because I am very self-conscious as a man talking about this stuff. What are the maternity care choices available to women now and why are women battling to be heard when it comes to their choices?
1: Okay, so in Ireland, you've got a choice between obviously home birth. We've been talking about there's also the Domino scheme, which is a, a scheme for low risk women who can have their baby in the hospital, but they can um, have an early discharge home and then be cared for in their home postnatally by a midwife. Um, if there's three pathways of care now under the maternity strategy. There's supported care, which is kind of low-risk care, assisted care, which is medium-risk care, and specialist care, which is high-risk care. And in Ireland, 75% of women fall into medium or high-risk pathways, whereas in the UK, 60% of women are considered low-risk, so almost the opposite. Um, in the majority of this country, there are no, no low-risk birthing units, um, unlike in the UK, where they're, where they're um, very, very common. And there are only a small number of home birth midwives in Ireland, unfortunately. There's only 0.3% of women who will have a home birth in Ireland in any given year, although it's 1% in Cork, um, which is kind of the home birth capital of the country. Uh, but we know from, anecdotally, a lot more women would like to have the choice to give birth at home or if that wasn't an option for them, they'd really like to be in a low-risk birthing unit that was um, adjacent to a hospital where they could be looked after by a midwife um, but transfer to hospital care if things became complicated in labour. I feel like we should be offering more choices to women and, you know, the fact that we don't is a real shame and the maternity strategy was supposed to be fixing that but, There only seems to be parts of the strategy that are actually being implemented and the rest of it is not happening. There's supposed to be more community midwifering in Ireland, which would be midwives looking after women at home after they've had their babies, whether they were low risk or high risk or whatever. Um, That's common, normal in the UK, you know, that women will be cared for at home up to 10 days. In Ireland, you get your whatever, two, three days in the hospital, you go home and you get a visit from the public health nurse who's really, really only interested in the baby. Um, you know, there's a lot of women developing infections between day five and day eight after having a baby. And, you know, I, I do feel that we should be providing better care for those women who who don't see the GP until two weeks. And even that appointment is really intended only for the baby. Uh, we're seeing an increase in free births across the country as well, which I think reflects the lack of choice that women are seeing in maternity care. Free births is when... Women decide to have the baby at home with their partner present, maybe maybe with a doula who's an unqualified birth supporter present, but no midwife, no doctor, nobody else. Um, you know, I, I, I understand why women are feeling driven to that extreme, but I do feel it is an extreme kind of choice. Uh, numbers are small, but definitely increasing year on year very rapidly.
0: For you, what would be your ideal maternity care situation in Ireland if somebody is on the birth scheme and they have to transfer into, to, into the hospital? What would be your ideal scenario?
1: Um, I suppose just generally, I would like things to be more negotiable. You know, I, I obviously I've got an English accent. I'm British originally and um, I went over back, lived in Ireland for a long time, but I went back over to England to study midwifery and I worked there for a couple of years after I qualified. Um, There's a very different approach over there to the way women are dealt with. You know, if a woman has been advised that she is having a high-risk pregnancy, for example, but she still really, really wants a home birth, a senior midwife will go out to visit her. And they will have a discussion with her about exactly what is it about a home birth that she really likes and really wants. And is there any way that they could fulfill those needs for her in a birthing unit, for example, or... Um, Is there anything they could do in the hospital to make her more comfortable or to allay her fears and concerns about what might happen to her in that setting? You know, there's there's a there's a willingness to have a conversation with the woman that I find to be absent in Ireland. And that's that's the one thing that I would like to see change.
0: Let's take another tune.
1: Okay, so the next one, we listen to this um, constantly uh, when I was posted uh, with my husband to Albania during the Kosovo crisis. Uh, we'd just got married and it was a very weird kind of honeymoon. Um, but this is Ray of Light by Madonna. <music>
0: That was Ray of Light by Madonna. And that was picked by my guest today, Caroline Cochran. Why do you think insurance companies won't insure GPs when it comes to providing their service to a mother who has opted for a home birth?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, insurance companies rely, when they're taking decisions like that, um, they have committees. And on those committees, they have consultant doctors. And they take their advice about risks and about what's sensible for them to insure and what's not sensible for them to insure. And um, yeah, I I don't really understand why they've taken this particular decision, this particular company. We have been lobbying them to change this decision for many years, and we've got nowhere because they're an independent commercial entity. We can't put any pressure on them, you know. Um, But, and on top of that, like we're insured as midwives, all the work we do is insured by the HSE. So our risk level is exactly the same as any midwife working in the hospital. Or any doctor working in the hospital, come to that. So you know, I, I, it's not helpful, um, and I, I, would like to see it change.
0: Do you think that that's a way of stopping people from having home births? It sounds scary. If it, you know, yes. it sounds like it's inducing fear. Yeah. If your insurance company won't go near it. You know
1: yes. What I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And, um, you know, it's kind of unfortunate. I think, you know, Ireland is very conservative with a small C in some ways and very traditional. And, you know, that's when things change and when we make forward progress, I think in midwifery and in home birth, we've made huge forward progress. You know, the National Maternity Strategy was all about increasing midwifery-led care, offering women more of the choices they wanted, increasing the numbers of um, midwifery-led birthing units, um, increasing the amount of home birth, increasing the number of home birth schemes based out of hospitals and integrating it all together. And, you know, it was very idealistic in a lot of ways, but I I still think that there's a vanguard of, you know, um, people within the HSE that, that don't really see things going in that direction at all. And they see things going in a much more American medicalised kind of direction.
0: Yeah. So why do you think there is a non-negotiable 30 minute distance limit placed on the homebirth scheme?
1: Well, just to clarify a little bit, you know, it's been agreed at a, a meeting in Dublin that this 30 minute limit should be applied. And um, it's been officially implemented by that committee, but it's not actually being applied, um, to the best of my knowledge, around the country. Um, I certainly haven't heard of anybody being turned down on the basis of the 30 minute limit, not yet anyway. And we know it's certainly not being applied in Cork at the moment, but that could change tomorrow. Um, I think, you know, somebody at some point said we need an analysis of the geography around home birth because we haven't looked at the geography of it, which is a fair question. And we did a bit of an analysis of um, where home births were happening around the county of Cork in particular, because it's a very big county, you know. And there are areas that we don't don't cover for the home birth scheme. We don't go onto the Barra Peninsula. You know, we go as far as Bantry and Skibbereen, and we don't go any further than that. You know, there was that analysis done. And I think probably, I think in Cork, I haven't got definite figures, but I have a feeling in Cork that about 50% of women are outside that 30-minute limit. 30%, 50% of women who've actually availed of home birth in Cork are outside that limit. So, you know, if that's to be brought in, that's ruling out all of the most rural women who, you know, from one way of looking at it, are the most in need of the home birth scheme, particularly if they've had babies before and they're prone to rapid birth. Do you know those women are highly likely to give birth at the side of the road if they can't give birth at home. You know, it's safer for them to stay put and wait for the midwife to come to them than to be in a car somewhere. You know, so I think we have to look at the outcomes of the home birth scheme before we talk about putting limits on it, because we've been working this way for twenty plus years. And, you know, NPEC is saying that we have good outcomes, um, that we have, you know, normal levels of mortality and morbidity. And, you know, NPEC are a very serious organization. If they had any concerns about us, they certainly would have raised them by now. Our outcomes are very, very similar to what you would expect in the UK or anywhere else with a well established, well respected home birth scheme. And, you know, the midwives working on the scheme, we're uh, very professional. We take the guidelines um, very, very seriously and we're extremely cautious. And obviously, the further away we are from the hospital, the more cautious we get. You know, so if we see that there's potentially a problem coming or if we see something that's maybe not outside of normal but approaching outside of normal or if we see that there's a couple of things going on like the baby's not in a great position it's a first-time mom she's getting exhausted she's been at this for two days do you know what i mean we're going to make the sensible decision we're going to have a conversation with the woman and talk to her about what's the best um, course of action here you know so we're very cognizant of distances in cork particularly um You know We've got a history of dealing with them in a very safe way. And I think that all of that needs to be taken into consideration before arbitrary limits are put in place. And there's no evidence, by the way, for the 30-minute limit. There's no research behind it. It's just a number that somebody plucked out of the air.
0: Let's take another tune.
1: This is Babies by Pulp. It's a road trip sing-along song in my family. Um, I think Jarvis Cocker has an incredible ability to write about a very specific experience and bring a whole era to life and when I hear this song it brings my childhood in the 1970s to life down to the swirly carpet and orange wallpaper.
3: I heard her all right Well, that was all right for a while But soon I wanted more I wanted to see as well as here and so I I hid inside her wardrobe And she came home round four And she was with some kid called David From the garage of the road, I listen outside, I heard her, alright. I wanna take you home, I wanna give you children. You might be my girlfriend. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I saw you next day, I really couldn't tell. she might go and tell your mother And so you went with me Oh yeah, me was coming on And I thought I heard you laughing when well, it's moments moment that we're gone I listen outside, I heard the wardrobe, and I had to get it on. Yeah, oh, listen. I listen. We were on the bed when you came home. I heard you stop outside the door. I know you. Were
0: That was Babies by Pulp, and that was picked on my guest today, Caroline Cochrane. I wanted to go back to your what you said at the start. You uh, were brought up in a mother and baby home. I had a question around why there is so much state restriction in Ireland around maternity care in general. Is it simply a legacy of the Catholic Church's control over women and children?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, you know, it's uh, in the same way you find it difficult maybe to be in a position where you're commenting on... Um, things that are happening to women and birth, it's, it's difficult for me to comment on what, what's going on in Ireland, you know, being a British person in particular. But, you know, I do, obviously, you know, there is, there is a legacy there. Um, I've been watching The Woman in the Wall recently and um, it's some powerful stuff. Uh, it's really made me think a lot about um, the history of the mother and baby homes in Ireland and how that's impacted on Irish women, through the generations, both the mothers and the babies that were in those homes, you know. Um, I think that that experience of judgment and shame and coercion, um, it's had impact that's gone, you know, beyond the time that it existed. I mean, obviously, the last mother and baby homes didn't close till the late 90s. Um, this is not ancient history either, although I think probably the the worst um era was was a bit before then. um you know i I understand why uh, the women who come to me for home births feel like they want to opt out of the system completely, and i you know, I feel great empathy for anybody who who doesn't want to be, you know, maybe feel like they're being controlled in that way. Um, at the same time, I've seen I've seen only very good care in the in the in the delivery suite when I bring women in, you know, they're always extremely well treated. But I but I think that that fear, that fear of being uh, judged and shamed and badly treated, you know, I I think that's it's not an irrational fear. Anyway, it's it's you know, it's a fear that comes from a a very real history in Ireland. And, you know, historically, women's reproductive choices have been extremely stringently controlled both by Healthcare professionals in the hospitals and also the state, which has failed to protect them. And um, even outside of maternity, the number of serious scandals in women's health care in Ireland is, is pretty bad.
0: Where do you see the future of home births in Ireland? Are you hopeful or fearful?
1: <laughs> Always hopeful. Uh, that's just my personality, though. Um, I, you know, I'm looking forward to another 10 years of working as a home birth midwife until I retire anyway. And, um, you know, I love this job. I feel very privileged to be doing it. Um, it's my dream job in every possible way. I love being out on the road visiting women and, um, you know, seeing all those amazing births and, you know, supporting women with breastfeeding. It's, it's incredibly fulfilling. Um, and I, you know, would love to have to continue the work that I do and to provide that, you know, like you said, gold standard kind of care all the way through for women so that they feel 100% supported and cared for. Um, in terms of the future, it's it's hard to say. You know, the maternity strategy is being implemented. The home birth scheme is in the middle of being integrated into the hospital. Um, we're not really sure what that's going to look like yet, um, Is there
0: anybody representing you on those plans being drawn up?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's an ongoing conversation, really. We have our designated midwifery officers who are, you know, amazing and who've been fantastic support to us over the years. And, um, you know, we're kind of looking forward to seeing how this all works out. We're very hopeful that at the end of it, we'll still have a free home birth scheme where women who are living in the rural parts of Cork County can still have a home birth, that's that's what we're all hoping for, you know. We just don't know whether that's going to happen or not.
0: Do you, do you think there will be some positive changes?
1: It's really hard to say because it, we're, we're in a very, very, um, we're in a very changeable moment and it, it's hard to know what directions things are going to go in. I mean, I'm hopeful that we will at the very least soon start working on um, setting up a home birth scheme in the hospital in parallel with what we're doing um outside the hospital as self-employed midwives um so that there is some possibility for us to integrate into an existing home birth service in the hospital um i would like to see a big increase in the take-up of the home birth scheme as well i'd like to see more midwives coming on board we would love to start recruiting um in ireland and overseas to get some some more midwives into the home birth scheme because we are you know we aren't in, in, across the whole country, we're not able to provide all the, all the home births that, that women are looking for. You know, there's a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's not attractive because you're self-employed?
1: No, I think it's not attractive because of the uncertainty at the moment. You know, we're yeah. being told that we've got five years of self-employment left. And by the end of that time, we'll all be employees in the hospital. And like, you know, we're fairly independent as, as midwives and none of us really... Would do very well, probably based out of the hospital. Um, we're not really used to that environment. And I think, you know, if who knows what would happen at that stage, but we would have to find some way of continuing to work in the community.
0: I'm just trying to get a sense of how that works. If you are a home birth midwife, yeah. then you're going to be based in a hospital. Yeah. What does that mean for your day to day?
1: Well, it happens in the UK all the time, you know, so it, it depends. Like if you had proper community midwifery where you had community midwives based in the hospital they would be going out and doing postnatal care all day every day and then maybe one night a week or two nights a week they would go on call and they would do home births for anybody who rang up to the hospital looking for a home birth so that's one approach um, that's very common in the UK you know sometimes you will have a midwifery led birthing unit and the midwives there will take turns going out to home births as well as doing births on the unit for women who come into them and you know if somebody has to go to a home birth they'll bring somebody else to come in from home to help them cover the unit so there's you know all this possibility of um caseloading which is what we do basically where you take on a certain number of women per year and provide all their care Mm. so you know there's a number of different possible approaches um that we could go down in ireland and you know any of them would be better than nothing i mean but i think what we have at the moment the case loading approach is it's actually very popular with midwives because it offers us um, a lot of flexibility if you don't mind not being able to drink most of the year
0: (laughs) (laughs) at the moment if you are you're being called to a house for home birth there's complications it has to go to the hospital When you go to the hospital, you're allowed there, but you cannot do anything.
1: No, I'm hands off. Um, off, Once we get into the hospital, I'm there as a support person, which is fine by me because, you know, the stuff they're doing in the hospital, um, they're very expert in certain areas that are not my areas, you know. So they're very accustomed to dealing with the CTG monitoring and they're very accustomed to dealing with more high risk situations, cannulating, drugs, titration, you know, drug pumps, all that stuff. You know, none of that stuff is my home home zone. It's all like kind of, you know, unfamiliar to me and it's stuff that I did a long time ago but I haven't done it for ages so I'm not really um, up to speed with it all. And, you know, I'm happy to let somebody else take over in those circumstances. I love that I'm still there until the baby's born because it means that I can be talking to the woman, reassuring her explaining what's going on if needed you know sometimes things happen very rapidly in the delivery suite and you know it always helps to have someone who can explain to the woman what's going on and why you know so you know and I still get to be there for the birth with this woman that I'm very connected with you know and that's very meaningful for me and it's I hope very meaningful for her and her partner as well to have me there in that moment and I, I usually get to help with breastfeeding afterwards as well. So you know, it's a it's a lovely experience still, even though it's in the hospital.
0: Uh, let's hear another tune, Caroline.
1: Okay, this song is a call to arms, and it's a reminder for everyone who cares about women's choices that there's a fight coming, and there's always been people who want to see women made to keep quiet and do as they're told. Uh, this song is Butterflies and Hurricanes by Muse.
3: change everything you are and everything you
0: That was butterflies and hurricanes by Muse, and that was picked from my guest today, Caroline Cochrane. I just wondered, um, what impression do you get from the midwives in the CUMH? Um, Do they support the homebirth scheme? Are they very yeah? Are they very supportive of us yeah, a- of ab- the work you do?
1: Absolutely, and you know we have because there's only um, three self-employed community midwives now in Cork. Um, we have um, some of the midwives on the domino scheme who also are used to doing low-risk births, although they do them in the hospital more so. Um, But we have a few of them who have signed up to help us out and to be second midwives with us in the community. So I think they get a big kick out of coming out and seeing um, home births and helping out. And, you know, we couldn't do it without them. They are absolutely brilliant. And when we had... um, we had a, a demonstration outside of CMH last November about the 30-minute rule, and hundreds of women showed up. And, you know, there was a whole bunch of student midwives there. There's a whole bunch of midwives from the delivery suite there, you know, there to support us because they, you know, they believe in midwifery-led care just as much as we do. You know, we're all midwives. We all we all want the same thing. We want women to be well cared for and um, supported, you know. So we, we, we have... Fantastic support from the hospital. Whenever we go in, you know, there's always somebody there who really gets where we're coming from and they understand that it can be very difficult for a woman to go from thinking she's having her home birth with all the twinkly lights and the pool and all of a sudden she's in an ambulance and she's heading into the hospital. That's not what she'd planned at all. And, you know, They are so gentle and so sensitive and so caring in that situation. And we appreciate that so, so, so much. We could not do what we do if they weren't there. You know, the only reason we can do home births is because the hospital is there to help us out when we need them.
0: Yeah, no, they're amazing. So if a midwife is listening to this and she wants to become a home birth midwife, what what steps would she have to take or he?
1: Um, they could just get in touch with um, the designated midwifery offices in the area wherever they're living. Um, that's uh, Joe Delaney and Denise Malone in Cork. Um, they work for the HSE and they're kind of running the home birth scheme here in Cork and Kerry. And um, they'll be able to give them more information you need to have a certain number of years postgraduate experience, a certain amount of labour experience, all that kind of stuff. I don't know all the details but they do and they can talk to them about, you know, it's there's a lot of paperwork, I will say that. But uh, <laughs> there's a lot of mandatory training that has to be up to date. Uh, but your midwives are used to that, you know.
0: Yeah, I just another thought came to my mind. I just wanted to ask it, it might be a myth, but it might not be. Um, is usually when you have a successful home birth, is it the is it the mother's second birth? Like, is it is it rare that a first time birth happens at home?
1: Yeah, we, we have like I mean, I'd say about probably 30 percent of my moms are first time moms. Um, and yeah, there is a bit of a myth that first-time mums can't give birth at home. It's not true, yeah. and we do have. I think the latest figures is about a th- for I don't know which year, but the the last set of figures that we have, I think, is about a 32% transfer rate to the hospital for first-time mums. So you know that has to be taken into consideration when you're making the plan. But I I I think you know you're massively reducing your risk of a cesarean section by being on the home birth scheme. You're massively increasing your chances of breastfeeding successfully um and even if you do transfer into the hospital we would probably get you transferred home the following day so you wouldn't be in the hospital for three or four days like a lot of first-time moms are and you know your midwife then would take over your care at home
0: so caroline let's finish on a positive note tell us about some of the truly beautiful moments you have experienced as a home birth midwife and why it's such a good thing for a mother to deliver her child in the comfort of her own home
1: beautiful experiences there's so many i i don't even know where to start gosh i suppose one uh Absolutely beautiful uh, home birth that that always comes to mind when people ask about this was in um, it was in a lighthouse keeper's cottage, and uh, we were in a kind of a conservatory area, off the kitchen, and there was a there was a birthing pool there, and we could see one hundred and eighty degree view of the harbour, and uh, it was incredibly beautiful, and the baby was born at the moment the sun set, um, you know, and that was a first time mum after like a four or five-hour labor. I mean, you know, these people don't believe us when we talk about the kind of births that we see because, you know, when a woman is in her own environment and she's comfortable and she feels like she's got a, a trusted relationship with a caregiver, um, all of the hormones that are essential to birth are all flowing through her system in great quantities and everything is kind of optimised for birth to happen rapidly and in a very straightforward manner and that's why we go on and on about giving birth at home because um, if you can be in that comfortable environment with the lights all down nobody can interrupt you uh, you know it, it it's just it tends to be a much quicker easier birth and you know that's why our outcomes are so good you know because we're we're working with nature you know if you ask a stud farmer the environment that they create when they have like a million euro racehorse that's giving birth um they will say oh nobody goes in there nobody interrupts that mare we leave them in the dark we leave them alone and you know it's exactly the same approach you know and i think women deserve at least as much as a million million euro racehorse you know
0: thanks a million for coming on i really appreciate it Um,
1: You're very welcome. It's been lovely.
0: Can we get your last tune for today?
1: So, my last song, this one's for my husband. He made me a mixtape when we first got together 25 years ago to try and convince me that the Rolling Stones were the the best band in the world, and this song was on it. I'm still not convinced, but I do love this song. It's uh, She's a Rainbow.
0: Tune in to Keeping Track every Monday at 1pm on UCC 98.3 FM. Keeping Track is hosted by me, Dave Hackett. I interview people in our community from all different backgrounds and my guests also choose the music that they love. When I'm not hosting an interview, I'll be playing a random selection of alternative music, old and new. Stay up to date with the show on Instagram where I announce upcoming guests and radio documentaries. You can listen back to previous shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Keeping track every Monday at 1 here on UCC 98.3 FM.